welcome to another episode of Mediated Intimacies. In this podcast, uh, I talk with various experts about intimacy and affection through different media and technologies. My name is Jolene Blom, and today's guest is Lars de Wild. Uh, Lars is a postdoctoral researcher at the KU Leuven Institute for Media Studies in Belgium. Uh, he researches religion in video games, game production, and quite recently, conspiracy theory. Today, we'll the, we will discuss Lars's take on our uh, intimate relationships with the Christian God in video games. So welcome, Lars. Hi. Hi, Elaine. It's good to talk to you again for a while. Um, yeah, it has been a while, right? Uh, it's been a couple of months, yeah, back when I was in Tampere. Uh, so just a quick note, I, I noticed that when we started recording, my, my cat started yammering. So apologies to everyone listening if you suddenly hear a wine in the background. That's not the wine I'm drinking, it's going to be my cat. <laughs> but, what I, I, maybe I'm able to edit it out, maybe I'm not. Maybe I'll just leave the cat whining in for funsies. If he doesn't do it too often, that's good. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's a good. That, that was a good description of me. I am a postdoctoral researcher at Leuven in Belgium. Uh, uh, KU Leuven stands for Catholic University, so I think it's fitting that we'll talk about that, some of that today. Yeah. Yeah. So let's uh, let's get started then. Um, so before we go into like video games and everything. Let's talk about our current relationship with um, the Christian God uh, in general. As you already noted, or like before we actually started this podcast, uh, Lars asked me, Yuling, why are you talking about the Christian God in general? And I told him, well, you seem to be speaking about Christian gods and not about any other gods. So um, this already like kind of tells us something, right? About religion in games. Um, would you like to clarify things a little bit there? No, of course, because when we, and I think that's an important question to ask in, in 2021, um, what is our relationship with, with God? Um, and then obviously whatever God is, is, you know, something I don't really know. Even though I study uh, religion, I'm, uh, I'm agnostic myself. And most people I know are, most academics even are. But then when we ask what is our current relationship actually, Globally, and I just want to start by saying that globally, we see that religion is actually growing. Um, and so outside of what we consider the West, right, uh, kind of like uh, European settler colonial and European countries. Um, and the United States and Canada, I would like to add. Right, like Europeans, like settler, settler European oh, yeah. um, parts of America and Australia and so on. <laughs> Fewer and fewer people indicate uh, that they have belief. <clears throat> and so my research is mostly about that. And I'm most of the games I've studied um, that kind of play with that, like that interest in religion are targeted at, let's say, a secular Western audience, right? So if we look at who buys games, unfortunately still, that's mostly what we consider um, people in Western countries, most of the money spent there and so most of the uh, game companies make games for those people and those people are usually uh, young reasonably educated demographically let's say in general it's the same demographics as um, as people that are secular and that's really interesting because then if you look at what games they buy and play and what games they like 
games like Zelda or God of War or Assassin's Creed. Um, those will mostly be games that are mysteriously about religion or secular mm. And that's something that I found odd, so I decided to research that. Yeah. Before before we go into a little bit more into that, just, just very quickly, I'm going to put my cat outside. <laughs> I'm just going to keep this. I'm not going to edit it out. Edit this out. It's way too funny. The cat has been whining for a while now. <laughs> Can you find him, Lars? If it takes too long, I'm going to edit it out. Did you did you lock him out? It's my. It's it, let's let's. Let's say he's a co-author. <laughs> he, he, he's a form of entertainment. <laughs> In any case, the, the question that I wanted to ask is to make sure uh, that uh, our audience too understands what you mean with secular. Um, so people who are secular, what kind of people are they? Um, I think without getting overly academic about it, um, what I mean when I say secularization is that people are leaving the church. People uh, since, you know, the start of last century already, um, increasingly, uh, the more educated they became, the more kind of like this discourse of science came over. And just to be clear, I'm skeptical about this discourse of science, which is that we can explain everything. Yep. What Max Weber calls the Stalhatis Gehause of modernity, right? The idea that we have this cold rationality that can explain everything. Um, mm, let yeah. people to, to just leave the church. Uh, and by leaving the church, I mean just if you count the numbers, people in countries like the Netherlands, the Czech Republic, increasingly the United States, and so on, don't get baptized. They don't go to church. They even decreasingly kind of don't believe in God and all these things. And that's what I mean by secularization. Okay. Yes. So that kind of also answers what our current relationship is with the Christian God, right? And specifically, church religion um, used to be something that we were very intimate with. That was uh, a person that, you know, the God is someone that you, when you're by yourself and you go to bed at the end of your day, that's the person you share your most intimate secrets with traditionally. Um, and we don't do that anymore. So that's changed. Hmm. Yeah. With who? With whom do we like? What is the what is the replacement? I'm I'm saying whom, but maybe it's more what. I mean, it's a good question, and uh, I think since the '60s, people have been kind of answering that in in different ways. And one of them is that uh, even though people leave the church and the Christian God, um, people try to seek that same kind of um, intimacy with uh, other systems whether it's you know new age religion or yoga or you know when i go on tiktok um i i, I see this trend of self-affirmations right so one very popular one is you wake up in the morning and you you repeat this mantra that's um, things like um i don't chase i attract anything that belongs to me will simply find me right and it's like you're supposed to wake up say this mantra you're not saying it to anyone that's a good question you ask like to whom do we say that um but it's it's still it has that religious kind of ritualistic element to it where uh, we're talking not to someone that we imagine as a person in the sky not someone that's attached to you know all these rules and a priest translating it but we still do have that metaphysical kind of desire to be intimate with something that isn't 
our friends and that isn't ourselves and yeah i mean in my my in my case i would always answer it with uh, virtual characters virtual com companions it's one way i would say well, i mean that's a good way out um where we kind of have uh, these virtual worlds uh, and environments and even you know fake gods that we don't have to think about that just exist and fulfill that desire in a different way. Yeah, I like that reading. I support that reading very much, actually. Thank you, yeah. I've <laughs> been thinking long and hard about it. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so let's go, go a little bit off, uh, off track here. Uh, something that I at least didn't prepare for, and you asked the question, why are you? Talk or your name, why do you mention it? Do you mention the Christian gods and not God in general? Because mm -hmm. you know, if when we talk about God, you and I, we kind of know what what or whom or what kind of entity we're referring to, but it's kind of um, very Eurocentric to assume that that is the only God that exists or has existed. And yet, that seems to be the God uh, that is that usually returns in these video games, right? If if I understood you correctly. Well, no, not not necessarily. Um, no. <laughs> this is a hard question. No, none of us have have prepared for this. So well, I mean, and yeah, I I prepared it in the sense that I I wrote a paper about this uh, at some point. Oh, so you prepared people, enough. It's it's the people. So when we talk about the Christian God, that's the God that everyone's like stopped caring about. <laughs> it's, just to be clear, there's a lot of like. Uh, big uh, Christian communities outside of that. So, you know, for, for players, it's one thing to stop believing. Um, but of course, we, we have, so on the one hand, we have a lot of very religious players, right, um, that have to deal with these kind of games. Uh, and, you know, I've interviewed a lot of Hindu and Muslim and, you know, Catholic and Christian and pagan players. Uh, and so the question is then always kind of like, okay, is it really about the Christian God or how do they find their own God in this? Um, and very often they find themselves actually quite intimately attracted to 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 playing with these kind of uh, these kind of religious worlds that aren't necessarily themselves. Because when we look at what religions are actually in games, then yes, it's very often kind of like uh, based on Christian churches and rituals. Uh, but when it comes to the actual depiction of gods, that's another question. That's the second question. So on the other hand, what we find in games, apart from players, is this kind of super weird mixed smoothie of all the gods you can think of. So if you if you look at a game like Shin Megami Tensei or uh, Final Fantasy, especially these kind of like encyclopedic um, RPGs. JRPGs. Yeah, JRPGs especially. Um, um, but in general, the big ones that you have to fill up with content, right? If you need like 300 monsters, what are you going to grab? You're going to grab from every religion and folkloric and mythical uh, source you can take. and you know, there's a lot of difference between religions and myths in, in some sense. Uh, there's a lot of people that are very good at, um, at knowing the difference, people like Don Ford and so on. Yeah. But to, to me, in this context, uh, a lot of what we refer to by mythologies are just religions people don't actively practice anymore, right? So yeah. 
Yeah, you can say that like I'm, I'm talking about uh, or thinking about the Japanese case, right? Where we all have all these different monsters. So Shin Megami Tensei, Final Fantasy. And even when you look at um, Shin Megami Tensei, which I know a little bit better than Final Fantasy, they, as you said, like they use uh, religions that aren't necessarily practiced anymore. But also if you compare it to the Japanese monsters, Japanese monsters are not 101 101 connected to religion. I'm not saying that they aren't, they are, but these monsters do not have to come from a religious uh, uh, place. Yeah. There are probably people who are going to very much disagree with me here. <laughs> so there's, there's a couple of things I'm interested in, but, but one of them when it comes to what we put in video games, mm -hmm. yes, gods are put alongside um, Kind of like everyday folkloric or just like trivial kind of fun monsters so shin megami tensei to stick with that example has maru right which i think they made up for the game which is basically like the a penis huge, monster it's a penis monster sure it's a huge phallus on wheels but <laughs> shin megami tensei the first one had as its final bosses uh yahweh and god right the christian and the, uh, and the hebrew god and and I think the trick, just like Final Fantasy has Shiva alongside Leviathan, uh, so from Hindu religion and from the Bible, uh, Ifrit, which is like this Arabic folkloric, uh, pre-Muslim Arabic uh, demon. Mm. And I think what's interesting there is not necessarily classifying and hierarchizing that, but realizing, hey, these games put them more or less on the same level next to each other. Yeah, that is that is that is very interesting. I was I was also just suddenly thinking. I never mentioned the word yokai. Like I really meant meant like okay. When I talk when I think about Japanese monsters, for example, I think about yokai, and that can be uh, uh, gods, religious creatures, but also uh, teapots, stuff like that. And we could, of course, like connect it to Shinto, but I don't think it is entirely the same as. As, as how we treat like certain yeah. gods. And so that's one of the reasons that in my, uh, most of my research, except for a couple of articles, I've stuck with um, Western questions of religion. It's because the, that entire category of religion and also the phenomenon of secularization and why it's interesting that we, that, that we play with God despite that um, becomes totally different and totally confusing when applied to, for instance, uh, a Japanese or uh, even or a Chinese context, for instance, where, yeah. where the concept of religion, apparently that's a cliche to say that, <laughs> but I've been taught by my reviewers that that is more or less true, that the idea of religion and calling Shinto a religion is kind of retroactively, retrospectively applied. But you're the Japanologist, so I, I defer to you. Yeah, but I'm not. I'm not really in, in in Japanese religions. But I would say something very similar. Like, it might be a retroactive um, uh, action. Retroactive, yes. Where Shinto wasn't necessarily a religion. Buddhism isn't necessarily a religion. Um, I would call it like a way of life or a way of like seeing things. Like when I first learned about Buddhism, I had to relearn that gods live on a different plane but can die and for us or at least for me at the time that was a concept that i couldn't understand like they die they can reincarnate 
you know the I could understand the plurality of gods, but hardly the the different dimensions and the different planes on which they live. And there's some good authors that um, write about this and, and know about this better than, than we do. I think uh, Rachel Hitch, uh, Hutchinson um, touches on this. And... Yeah, but she touches on yokai more than, uh, well, maybe she does Shintoism. Um, well, or I've also recently read something of her that was about yokai, so that makes uh, a lot of sense. But yokai then are just more these of these creatures, and of course you can place them in religion, but I don't think all of them. And and they, they like you said, I like the way how they phrase it, like it is something that is retroactively put onto it. Just the way that art is retroactively put onto uh, uh, craftsmanship from Japan and probably also other East Asian countries. Yeah, and and so it's only really from like a, a Western Protestant, Western Christian perspective that it becomes odd to kind mm -hmm. of see um, all these gods combined in a game like Final Fantasy and Shin Megami Tensei where we're like, hey, what's going on? <laughs> How can they, you know, we, we were taught that we can only believe in one thing at the same time. You're either a Hindu, so all the Hindu gods exist or you're a Christian, so you have like only one God, which is different apparently from the Muslim one or the Christian God, this world religion paradigm, like you're yeah. only, you're pick a religion and that's what you believe in. Exactly. Um, and then you suddenly have to like learn or like try to make sense of the penis monster in the game. <laughs> alongside that, right? Yeah. <laughs> but, but so one of the things I, I, I like about non-Western ideas of believing, uh, this is very common and in, increasingly common, especially in mainland China, uh, where people have uh, multi-religious belongings. So you kind of just like pick and choose whatever you want. And that fits this kind of way of thinking uh, much better. Um, and it's great for video games as well, because you get to just pick more characters and monsters from <laughs> existing very compelling stories, right? Uh, in the end, um, at the very least, religion provides some very compelling, interesting stories. I think I think we've we've come to the question of what is the role of video games in this uh, in this relationship. Now I will I will share the paper that I read uh, of yours, or at least the, the link or the, um, the the title, the reference of the paper, so that people can uh, read that if they like. Um, but in this paper, uh, obviously I always forget the title, which is why we're gonna gonna put it in the in the. Uh, episode notes you when you talk about the role of video games in this relationship with god you mention a return of a religion and that's very interesting because we started this conversation with you saying well secularization people are just basically going away from the church so how would you say that there is a return of religion well yeah the thing is people apparently um, and that's just the thing we've observed, right? That uh, people in sciences have observed uh, observed over the past hundred years. People have kind of stopped going uh, to church. Um, they indicate that they don't consider themselves religious. Um, we're both from the Netherlands, which is one of the most like uh, most atheist agnostic um, countries in the world. But at the same time, people apparently have some kind of desire for. Um, meaning making that was traditionally up to this intimate relationship with god right again where we talk to ourselves where we have mantras where we meditate um self-affirmations uh, self-help books all that stuff 
So there's a weird kind of desire. Um, and I think a very, actually a very nice way to solve that is by buying products that give you that relationship, um, but that you can close and put away and go back to your secular normal hegemonic life, right? So video games specifically, more so than self-help books, I think, uh, or even uh, you know religious books or yoga practice uh, are great because you can close them off and you know what I just played is not my real life. I, uh, I value these characters and these stories greatly to the sense that I take them with me and I think about them all day, but they are closed off. They are part of this like, box they're part of a screen usually um and in that way we can kind of like safely have that um relationship with with gods or, or the mystery of religion or even rituals yeah sorry it sounds very similar to what you hear about parasocial relationships with characters like it's a safe space um they will not betray you uh things things like that and yeah and the whole thing, I mean, the whole problem with, so like, if God would exist, right, everyone would, believe, if the Christian God would exist, or the Muslim God, or uh, all of the Hindu gods, or whatever kind of world religion, if we were absolutely sure they existed, that would be kind of nice, right, because you could go to bed, and you can say your secret things, so they're super trustworthy, existing entity, or multiple, or you choose one, and you might get things, um, but, but the whole thing is, we kind of doubt the existence, there's no way to be sure, um, but in video games, that whole question disappears. Gods are real in video games. You, you get quests from them or, or items, right? You can commune with them. You, get, you can pray to them in Skyrim and you get just like plus five carrying weight uh, capabilities. Yeah. Or use them as your persona five to call them forth and you know, make sure that they put down or call forth their wrath on your enemy. Very satisfying. Yeah, literally, like that, it takes away the whole um, doubt. Yeah, um, and so that that works really well. And some companies have figured out that that really sells. And these are, you know, that these are great stories, and that these are parasocial relationships. I really like that uh, way of reading this. Actually, um, that these are parasocial relationships that um, people desire with gods or a god or some kind of mystique. Yeah, I mean, we yeah, it can definitely give a nice twist to the idea of parasocial relationship, right? We could even like wonder if if it wasn't already always a parasocial relationship and this one is just a more secure one. People are gonna dislike me for <laughs> suggesting this, but um, it is a relationship for sure. And it seems in a way very similar, at least the ones in, the, in games, right? The, the relationship with God in a game or with a god in a game or multiple uh, uh, seems very similar as uh, the ones with characters in general, but also because then god is a character. Yeah, and of course we don't just have that. Uh, I mean, there's also just the, the whole attraction to, to everything that religion is really good at, which is the whole atmosphere of creating something that makes you feel special. So at, at root, according to um, sociologists like Emil Durkheim, right, that's one of the core three original sociologists together with Karl Marx and Max Weber. The idea of religion, according to Durkheim, is that it creates a context where you walk away from it thinking, ooh, that was special. 
the whether it's Christian mass on Sunday or like some dancing ritual or just prayer, whatever, you walk away from it thinking, oh, that was different. And the way people do that usually is by having a special building, having the lighting be really nice. Um, Catholicism is really good at candles and like voices and acoustics and, and smells and so on. Um, and game designers like, um, well, like the people at Ubisoft, which I interviewed, um, have kind of taken that and really outdone themselves with recreating that kind of atmosphere where people you mean do Assassin's have Creed, a, right? Assassin's Creed specifically um, uh, plays with this very much. Uh, Skyrim obviously does so as well in other games. Um, but yeah, you walk away with this feeling that like hmm, there's something weighty, there's something special about this. So in your paper, you uh, when you talk about Ubisoft. Uh, you mentioned the, the, the following three terms. You mentioned depoliticalization of religion, universalization, and science fictionalization. Those are the three terms you use to describe what Ubisoft does in specific with their Assassin's Creed uh, series. What do you mean with that? Yeah, uh, so Assassin's Creed is a specific case where it works really well to make things religious, but that uh, a worldwide audience can abide. And, and what I started by doing, of course, I looked at the games and I played them. They've been around for over a decade um, and they do these three things. So what I mean by that, uh, what I mean by depoliticization is that all of these contested um, all these contested parts of religion, right? That religion leads to war and that religion leads to uh, conflict, right? Especially because the first Assassin's Creed came out, you know, in still like a very recently post 9-11 world where Muslim terrorism was this big scare we had. One thing Assassin's Creed tries to do from its very first game, which is typically about the holy war, right? About the medieval holy war between Muslims um, in this case represented by the assassins and Christians, in this case represented by the Templars, um, is they kind of like depoliticize that conflict, saying like, ooh, there's actually something deeper going on that is just playing throughout history. And it's not about whether you're uh, Muslim or Christian or, or Jewish or Hindu or whatever else. It's actually about, do you feel like an assassin or a Templar? And throughout history, you have all these kind of conflicts, and as always, it, it's always brought back to like, look, religious aesthetics are important, and yes, the assassins are originally Muslim, and yes, the Templars are originally Christian, but there's something deeper going on, and it's not about politics. It takes away that kind of politics, and puts it into a conflict. You even see in later games that you just kind of play both sides, and in, and uh, after Assassin's Creed three. Um, the, the assassins kind of like come from difficult lineages that are like partly Templar. So it all gets blurred. Uh, and, and the whole point of depoliticization there is that, um, yeah, it, it's less scary. Uh, one thing we, that religion does in a global context is it leads to conflict. In the 13th century, it led to conflict at the Holy Wars. And in uh, 2001, it led to conflict when uh, the U.S. Uh, declared uh, formally a war on um, terrorism, but actually in many ways on brown people and in many ways on uh, Muslims. Uh, and that made the whole 
religion thing unnecessarily uh, controversial. And so what Assassin's Creed does successfully, at least in that microcosm of while you're playing the game, is it takes that out. What universalization does is kind of similar, right? It makes it, again, not uh, about what you personally believe. Everyone can kind of identify to it. So in different parts of history, the assassins are, you know, living in uh, Egyptian uh, religious worlds, um, or they might be, uh, you know, with or against uh, the Catholic Church or whatever, like it kind of depends, but everyone in the entire world should be able to identify with these people uh, and play as them. Okay. So the, the series in a, in a way has to fit all, like one series for all. Yes, because it's a huge media franchise and you have, you know, hundreds of people, uh, you know, nearing like a thousand people working for four years for absolutely ridiculously low uh, wages um, to make a profit. And so you want to be able to sell it to most, yeah, to everyone you can. Yeah. So let's continue to science fictionalization. You particularly mention a relation to technology instead of God, right? Yeah, just to come back to that whole kind of worms, though, I think that is vital. Like you, you want to make something so apolitical and so universal that like no one will get upset about it um, anywhere in the world, just so you can, you know, make money. I mean, that is yeah. that is unapologetically the, the the goal of making such a huge franchise and again, such a huge investment of working for four years with a thousand people. But but then, yeah, the final way to to make all of that okay to uh, an audience, whether it's you know. Um, uh, mostly secular audience still, or the audience you want to expand into, which very often across the world are people that are religious and so on, is you you kind of explain it away uh, with science fictionalized, uh, fictionalization. And what Ubisoft has is really interesting because they call it a brand Bible, um, where they have kind of 10 commandments. <laughs> and, and one of those commandments is that... Uh, um, that yeah, everything should be able to be explained by science. So all these biblical and religious stories, um, whatever the era is that the, the game plays in in that moment should be able to be explained by some kind of like advanced nanotechnology or something, right? That's creepy. Is it creepy? A little bit. It's attractive in a way, like you could be Jesus if only you could have this sacred artifact that is a form uh, of uh, mind control, right? So the, they're all looking for the apple of Eden, uh, which is a, just a mind control device. It's just a very advanced technology. No, but it, it, it ties into this uh, believing in science. It seems like a replacement for believing in God. Oh, we cannot like believe that figure in the sky anymore. So we're just believing into something that we barely know what we're doing either. Yeah, I mean, when, when people have, uh, I mean, when you talk about exchanging a relationship, an intimate relationship uh, uh, with God for like an intimate relationship with science, right? I'm always really amused by people who, who, uh, who follow websites like, uh, or like groups like I fucking love science, things like that. Can I curse on this podcast? Sure, sure. <laughs> um, yeah, when people say I fucking love science, like the cliche is right. Like, do you love science? Are you in an intimate relationship with science? Or do you just have like a crush on the cool facts about science? Because being in an intimate relationship with science 
is having, um, you know, is respecting how complicated and nuanced it is and that science sometimes wants one thing or says one thing, but actually, you know, it constantly corrects itself. And, and it's actually that's a, the metaphor breaks at that point because it's a, a monolithic it, right? Science is a bunch of people trying to be as rigorous as possible and arguing things, um, but, you know. Yeah, it's, and it's, and, and we, would like like preferably we would like to we would like science to constantly correct itself we come up with something based on the current knowledge that we have at that moment and then at some point uh, a new paradigm happens uh, we get new ideas new knowledge uh, maybe a discovery or just general in general a new point of view hey maybe women should be allowed to vote cool all right let's take it from there right and so you keep correcting um, your point of view and, and science at the time. Um, but that is often not how science wanna, is regarded. Can I, can I quickly add, though, that like in a way, um, like the original scientists in the way that we see them now as you know, people that do this rigorous full-time kind of thinking and doubting each other uh, in a university, like originally a lot of those universities were mainly theological. If we want to think through like how how we we how a lot of people might have replaced their um, their doubtless intimacy with God uh, with their doubtless intimacy with science, then I think uh, both theologians theologians and science scientists are very much outside of that. Is that a replacement of the of the intimacy from from God to technology? Like for we we started this. Um, uh, this episode saying, or at least I started with the idea, okay, we're replacing the like our belief in Christian God with a belief, or at least an an uh, not a belief, uh, with an in like the intimate relationship that we had with the Christian God. We then have it with a representation of the Christian God or gods, uh, not necessarily Christian, in video games. But then Assassin's Creed, which seems all to be all about uh, religion, is actually not about that at all. Or maybe it is, but it has like a science or technology sauce over it. No, I think you're right. And so Assassin's Creed does this very, very explicitly where it replaces um, all the belief with uh, this kind of explaining away that is rational, what, what Weber calls this like cold rationality of science, right? Um, so we can still keep all the magic and the aesthetics and the nice candles and the music, like the halo chant, right? Like Ooh, yes. chanting, um, Bioshock Infinite also kind of like does this thing where it has all the aesthetics, but it reduces it to like, oh no, actually it's a political thing. And so we have all these different games in the end, giving you all the sweet stuff about religious aesthetics that you can like just kind of enjoy for a couple of hours but then in the end going like no it's okay it's okay you don't have to be religious you don't have to like think about this when your playstation's off it's just science or it's just politics or you know all these excuses which is nice we i don't want to walk away from my playstation and have to you know go to church like i thought i finally had this figured out now video games are, are going to make me doubt that's not good it's not great. I don't want that. I paid for this. True. You paid probably 60 euro or more for it. You don't want to like 
helped yourself. And that's exactly what's good for Ubisoft. And it's good for me. And that's why they sell me the games and I buy their games. And it's good for God of War and Zelda and all these things. I want to enjoy all the benefits and all the superficial kind of, I want to look at the butt of religion uh, and say, hmm, that's nice. But then walk away and not have to like be intimate with God. So that is what you would call a, a marketable religion, right? In, in, in video games. Yeah, I think uh, Ubisoft has nailed how to sell religion in a way that no one minds and everyone enjoys. But then if we, if we, if we take it a little bit further, further like, um, doesn't mean that the relationship with God in video games, or at least in this, this example, uh, we, could, we could talk a little bit more about other video games, but then is it intimate? I will not kick you out of this episode if you say no. <laughs> no, it's not intimate, right? Um, there, there are, of course, video games that play with this. Um, but any kind of intimacy that I have found, I mean, so it, originally, religion is always a media thing. Right. So whether you use a book or a story or Christian movies or whatever, you always need media. But um, all these media can, you know, turns out the cultural industry has found out that you can just like take all the superficial things uh, without, you know, the burden of the intimacy with this metaphysical being or the threat of the afterlife and stuff like that. So in that sense, I want to say no. When you mediatize this in such a successful way that I call it marketable religion in the case of Ubisoft's uh, Assassin's Creed, but also, you know, again, Skyrim, Zelda, uh, all these games that use religion to, to sell themselves, um, it's not intimate. And that is the nice thing about it. You can walk away without it being. On the other hand, uh, I did interview a lot of players uh, at some point, uh, atheists, agnostics, uh, Hindus, pagans, um, uh, Muslims, Christians, all different kinds of people. Um, and what they told me was actually very intimate, that uh, when they played certain games, um, like Assassin's Creed, again, uh, or That Dragon Cancer, uh, where they were forced to kind of relate to historical worlds or historical characters um, that believed different things or lived in a different world than them, they actually found themselves, um, yeah, um, empathetic with them and kind of understanding them. Um, it's what I called back then in 2018, uh, playing the other where they were kind of put into the shoes of people that believed differently or just simply lived in a world where gods were real, right? That, that they had to believe differently for a while. Um, and that brought them this kind of like intimate understanding of what it is like to believe when they didn't believe or when they were believers, like one Hindu person I interviewed, it, it gave them this intimate understanding of like, okay, so this is what it is like to be uh, atheist or to believe in a certain way. And I think that's very different, but also very important to a relationship with God, which is our relationship in our society with people who believe differently. Yeah. Okay, so you could, you could say that the intimacy is not necessarily with 
be God depicted, not necessarily. Maybe it is for some people, right? Uh, but that's that relationship because we at least learn to sympathize or empathize. There is a bit of a difference there um, with people of other religions or other beliefs. Um, because atheism and agnostic and being agnostic is also a belief, people, uh, <laughs> in my opinion. Um, that we in the intimacy comes from understanding the other person better. So it's connected to an, a person. Maybe we don't even know the people or the, a group of people. And that's something we have to increasingly do. That's only, you know, maybe uh, 100, 150 years old that, that it's really become, you know, it's only for, for the last 50 years that that's really become increasingly tense that we have these multicultural global societies where people migrate um, more, more easily or more often. Um, and we just like get to live in these societies where people believe different things than you and I. Um, and it becomes really important to kind of understand that like, okay, I don't believe in what you believe, but um, I do have to deal with it, maybe understand it. And so what I learned from these interviews with players is that especially in the cases of, uh, of people from different religious beliefs, um, that they really kind of got to got to play with that and understand uh, what it's like to uh, yeah to to walk around in a world like that in a belief like that um, still I'm, I'm not saying that games are like the tool to teach each other to uh to you know understand what it's like to be someone else right there were a lot of understanding uh, misunderstandings there i thought it was really funny that a catholic guy from boston um, walked around in the world of Assassin's Creed 1 and he said like I know what it's like to be a Muslim now I know what it's like <laughs> when I hear when I hear the, the the call to prayer in the morning and to see these mosques and stuff um, and I think that might still be quite divorced from the actual experience of a Muslim in the 13th century let alone the 21st but but I want to say it's about the idea there I want to say that that it's nice that Assassin's Creed made him kind of humanize that perspective and try to understand that, and I think that's a much nicer way of uh, intimacy than uh, than with God. If you know, if if you ask me for my personal opinion. Yeah. Well, in in this case, I would ask you for your personal opinion. So. <laughs> I'd rather have people understand each other than people try to get close to God. Yeah. That's my yeah. Personal <laughs> okay. Yeah. Now, initially, the, the the question that I wanted to ask, like, is it important for the production? But we kind of like diverged from that. We also, in a way, you also answered mm -hmm. it already, uh, because we really went to this this intimate relationship with other people and not necessarily uh, with a god. So usually, uh, or at least I try to, don't always succeed. Um, I try to ask a final question, which is the broader question of why should we study uh, mediated intimacy? Um, why should we study uh, mediated intimacy in general, but also if you like in regards to video games and you can make it entirely about your own topic if you want. I would never do that. But I think first of all, all intimacy is mediated. Right. Uh, even if we think just of a hug or meeting people, uh, we usually instigate that through like a text message or we meet people through Tinder or, you know, we have like people that we know 
very intimately, emotionally already through Facebook. In, in my case, as an academic, I meet people very often through reading their papers and stuff like that. And then sometimes years later, they come to me at a conference and they shake my hand and they say, oh, it's so, so nice to finally meet you. And I think, huh, meet you? We've talked so often. We've been intimately connected in our thoughts and feelings. Um, it, it, it's almost trivial that we, we meet in a kind of non-mediatized, non-mediated context. Um, so I think all intimacy is in a sense mediated deeply. I'm, I'm, I'm convinced of that. But then I think what games do really well is they combine, first of all, all these forms and all these, um, what we call traditionally media, right? Like where you have one audiovisual medium, TV, and you have like radio and all these things. With games, we have all these things together, including internet connectivity, what before that used to be chat boxes and so on. Um, we can be connected in all these intimate game uh, uh, ways uh, in a way that's, um, just complete that's not necessarily new but that's complete and total this is exactly why the the metaverse um, is such an attractive idea to a company like facebook right yeah. like this is how we create this continuously intimate uh, mediated things and it's by doing things that games have been doing for 15 years uh, more importantly i think and this is more a, a a thought i have about play than about games mm -hmm. But I think games are the predominant site where we play uh, in very connected ways. Um, play allows us to connect in ways that uh, are less um, are less divorced from uh, that are maybe closer to ourselves. So I can be connected in so many ways that are hyperfunctional. I can go on Tinder. I can go on TikTok and see someone's emotions. Uh, I can go on LinkedIn and try to like find connections. I have all these like. Even Facebook is very much a professional thing for me, but where I really, really find spontaneous kind of like understanding with people is in playful contexts. Um, and because I'm not very good at football, I prefer video games. And that's why we should study uh, video games and intimacy. It's because I can't play sports very well. <laughs> <laughs> I like the answer. I think I'm completely and mostly uninhibitedly myself when I play games. Uh, and I think it's just easier to do that uh, digitally for a lot of people. And moreover, it's like, uh, oh, I used the word moreover in an actual sentence. Oh, and in an informal context as well. Scrap it. Yeah. So, so I think only, only when we're playing, we are really, really completely ourselves in ways that aren't functional, which allows us to be intimate, uh, which, yeah, we can play out on the streets, uh, but um, to be able to, to be that with everyone in the world when I want uh, is great. I want to, I want to, I want to add one anecdote, if I may. Yes, you can add an anecdote. I think that I think like most, like one game that just takes the aesthetics of religion or spirituality or some kind of magic without calling itself religious, without even having any kind of text, is Journey by that game company. Uh, and what I found profoundly intimate in playing that is because you, you, you meet these anonymous co-players that are also online at the same time as you, uh, and you're not able to really talk or use text. Uh, you can't use voice. You can have some minimal communication within what's possible. Uh, and it felt extremely intimate to me when I played with that one person and finished journey 
Although I, of course, didn't realize that during my playthrough, uh, it was probably five different people that, uh, yeah, were exchanged for each other because of connectivity issues. But it felt so intimate just because, yeah, it was this context and it could have been anyone in the world. Uh, and I think that's truly magical. One of the few magical experiences we still have. Yeah. Yeah. That's um, that's a beautiful anecdote. Um, let's let's end with this. Thank you so much, Lars. Uh, this is this has been very very interesting. Also for me, it, it diverges diverges a lot from my my usual topics. Um, so I'm very happy to have this chat to have had this chat with you. Uh, thank you so much. Ooh, I'll keep listening to the podcast as I have. It's, it's nice to finally have been able to go. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> <laughs>